Hello, humans. A couple of days uh, late for some of you probably hearing this. I am currently on spring break, which of course means storms and sickness and all sorts of things that <laughs> typically accompany a spring break. Uh, we haven't been out of the house much, but that's actually totally fine. I needed the rest. Been working on projects, working on the editing of this particular episode of your favorite podcast and mine, Taking Creative License. I hope you're doing well. This week, we're joined by one Shelby Logan Warren. Shelby is a friend of mine now for, oh, going on two years. We met through the Discord server for her band Kairos, which started a little before the pandemic. The Discord server, the band, has been around for a little while. And it was posted on the Kairos page, which, to be perfectly honest, I'm not even sure where I ran across Kairos, but it blew up in my brain, that band. They're just absolutely fantastic uh, across so many different styles uh, within the kind of prog rock framework. And the vocals, the keyboards, all of the instruments, just just top-notch. And the production is off the charts, simply off the charts. And that's all thanks to Shelby Warren. Um, spent some time doing some mix breakdowns uh, and song breakdowns uh, with Shelby early on. Uh, in their uh, promotion cycle for Selexa Dreams, which is their most recent full album, and was just awestruck. So had to jump at the opportunity to have Shelby on uh, as the first official guest of Taking Creative License. You really should check out Kairos and do everything you can do to ingest some of that music because it's really, really good. But without further ado, here is Shelby Here's Logan Warren. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't see you, so you scared me. Uh, sorry. Oh, there you are. Uh, How are you, you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Let me just sort my camera out one, one second. I just need to... Uh, da, 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 da. And oh, you're there very go. dark. There you go. There we go. There yes. Go. Yeah, this, this camera is not great for low light, even though it's not that dark in here. No, it's not. When when at first it wasn't adjusting to the light immediately. Ah, uh, it's made me look very orange for some reason. <laughs> yes, that is. Unless that's just yeah, okay, yeah. It is. It is actually doing that. It's not just my screen then. <laughs> um, so how have you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've been uh, busy. Been very busy. It's been a very busy time. I've had a very long day. So forgive me for my tiredness. I will oh, try. Fun. To be as energetic and um, conversational as I can be, uh, but um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. <laughs> Good. So, how's the new gig as the manager? It's uh, it is well, it's good, but it's exhausting. Exhausting in the sense that I'm still getting to grips with it, still hitting the ground running, and there's still little things that I'm adjusting to that um, are. Things that I'm I'm very stubbornly having to get used to, and one of those things, which sounds really stupid, is um, accepting the fact that I can't go to bed as late as I used to be able to. That makes sense. <laughs> and the thing is, is I'm a night owl. I just like that. At night is when I do, um, in my opinion, 
some of the best kind of writing that I do. It's when I get in the, into the creative zone. It's when I'm able to write properly and get into a headspace where, okay, I'm just in a zone and no one is around me. And I'm just having to find that balance where like, okay, I still have to get up early-ish, but I can't, I can't be, I can't be going to bed at 4am anymore. That's just not happening. <laughs> so in your, in your day job, besides managing, are you still doing all of the, the mixing and whatnot that you were doing? Yes. So that has compounded into why I'm just like, so like busy these days, as well as doing all of the Kairos stuff and, um, managing that whole side of things, um, balancing my time with that, all of that, I'm still doing my engineering as a, as a mixing engineer, sure. recording engineer. So my day-to-day -day job as an engineer at the studio still carries on, but on top of that, I've now taken over as a manager as well. So lots of roles. And the one thing I very quickly noticed was, um, I need to schedule more. I, if, if I don't put things in the calendar, they will just go by like that. And my brain will not register that this thing was supposed to have happened because I'll be too occupied doing something else to even realize that I should be doing this other thing. So yeah, I have a tight schedule that I absolutely stick to. And I know if I don't, if I don't stick to it, it upsets the rest of the week. It throws the whole week out of kilter. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I've been, um, um, I mean, obviously I've been like absent from the discord a good bit. Um, mm. and that is because, you know, similar busyness level, but minus, you know, I have kids and, and, and between the kids and, um, I'm doing uh, online school, uh, mm -hmm. with a group in London for, uh, production music and whatnot. So that's a 30 week thing plus a couple of weeks of break in, in interspersed in there. So like 34 weeks, it's a brief a week. So we have to knock it out and get it turned in within five days. Um, so if I'm not teaching or, or dealing with the kids, I'm, I'm writing music or recording very bizarre sounds or, or, or whatever. <laughs> so, um, so I can kind of sympathize, um, mm, mm -hmm. a little bit. It's, it's 20, 2022 seems to be going pretty good in, in that respect. Uh, for yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Definitely. Um, even though I'm busy, I'm very grateful to be busy. I feel like I'm in a good place with that. And I know it's going to get busier, but that can only lead to bigger and better things in the long run, I think. Um, so hopefully I just, I just need to get into a momentum. I just need to get into the, the, that, that sense of autopilot that takes over after a while, because I, because a lot of what I'm doing these days is quite new and I'm picking up a new sense of rhythm. It can be more exhausting than I think it will be eventually once I find my stride. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. But like, you don't take anything by halves. Um, well, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> when so I commit like, to something, I go for it. <laughs> your life changes and then your job changes. Everything changes all at once. It's just. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I've, I've always been that way. And I, I know it's, um, it can be a blessing and a curse because sometimes if I push myself too far and I don't realize that I'm pushing myself too far, um, it becomes this weird addiction of trying to tick the boxes, trying to gratify my inner neuroses by ticking the boxes, so to speak. Sure. And if I don't tick those boxes, um, 
I fall into this weird pit. But at the same time, if I tick the boxes too much, I end up chasing this this uh, this light at the end of the tunnel that isn't quite um, well that that keeps getting further and further away. It's like a, a I mean, it's, a, it's this is a bizarre analogy, but it's like someone getting that hit of like something that gives them like a positive dopamine boost, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have too much of that hit, then you end up in a position where that hit isn't as strong anymore. So if I'm constantly ticking those boxes and I'm going too fast with it, I'm not getting that dopamine hit at a rate that is satisfying my inner brain anymore. It's a really interesting way of, <laughs> of looking at that. It's really great. <laughs> and then I end up burning out to, to you know, simplify things, I guess you could say. Yes, but I, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Mm. It's, at it's least really- that's how I've interpreted how my brain uh, functions. Totally makes sense. And I think anybody who gets a hit as it were, or, or gets, gets a high off of being productive or, or that little, little tiny bit of perfection they might run into along the way towards, towards that larger goal of perfection, um, uh, could, could certainly empathize with that. And that's, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. And it's probably totally (laughs) scientifically accurate. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't know who to ask. Um, I wish I knew someone who could uh, verify whether or not there's any any sense of truth behind that, um, biologically and chemically speaking. But so, so uh, write, write down the idea, copyright it, and then take it to a psychologist. Yes, yes. Now there's <laughs> there's the thinking right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, so um, let's go back to ye olden days. Uh, how did you get started in music and the arts? Because I know also you are uh, quite the visual artist. Um, <laughs> how did you How did you get started in all that and bring us up to this new job from the beginning? Right. Um, well, so with the music side of things, I'll, I'll focus on that for now. I was raised on prog rock, right? I was raised on bands like Genesis, Camel, IQ, my dad was heavily into that side of things. And I think I always had this weird thing in, in my head of like in kind of enjoying this music as well. And I, I remember from a really early age, even when I was like five, six years old, I'd be playing with my toys in the living room and my dad would have Cinema Show by Genesis playing on the stereo. And I have this, it's almost like video perfect playing in my head. I'd be playing with my toys and I could hear that and I'd be like, Oh, this sounds interesting. Before I understood the whole concept of time signatures, I'd hear the instrumental section and be like, why does this feel different? This doesn't feel like any song on the radio. It doesn't have this, I can't nod my head to it in the same kind of way. And then that really stuck with me and left a, left an impression. As I, as I grew older, um, my parents uh, noticed that I took an interest in music from a young age. I would always dig into their cassette collection and I'd play their cassettes and I'd experiment with like recording from one cassette to another and recording my voice and doing weird kind of things with, with tapes um, on this little dual cassette thing, stereo hi-fi thing. And um, they said, oh, would you be interested in piano lessons? And I was kind of too young to be neither here nor there. So I thought, yeah, all right, why not? And did piano lessons for a bit found out that I hated the piano lessons because <laughs> I just didn't like 
being regimented into a lesson plan, a lesson structure, following a book of some sort. I just didn't, I didn't like that at all. And I eventually quit. I said to my parents, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't like it. Now, fast forward a few years, got to the age of 12, 13. And suddenly one day after not really having any interest in playing music, but still having an invested interest in listening to music, um, I suddenly had this desire to just go back to the piano or go back to keyboards specifically. Mm-hmm. And we had this old Casio keyboard, really cheap, nasty thing, but it did the job. And I just, I bought it up to my room one day out of, out of the garage or something and um, plugged it in. And then I kind of played around with it, played around with the different presets, the different sounds. And I don't know what happened in my brain at that time, but something clicked one day and suddenly I thought, I do want to play this. <laughs> I really enjoy this all of a sudden, and I don't know why. Um, but I'm, I, I seem to be in a place in a headspace now where I really want to pick this up. So I ended up teaching myself, and I found that that was way more rewarding than going through the traditional route of lessons. So I just played little tunes, tried to figure out other songs, and I found the best way of teaching myself was to learn songs that I liked. And the big one, the big one after maybe about a year of tinkering around was for the fifth Genesis again, going back around to the Genesis connection. And I set myself the high bar of learning that piano intro, which is like, that's 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 not an easy thing to learn, um, especially for someone who at that point hadn't really had that much experience playing um, piano, but I wanted to do it. Why not? <laughs> so I, I, um, I just figured it out note by note eventually. And about three, four months later, I finally got it. And that set me off on a roll to just like be like, okay, this is it. This is now my thing. I um, managed to pick up a lot of different techniques from just learning that piano intro alone, because there's just so much stuff going on, like how to play in different weird time signatures, how to um, coordinate the left hand and the right hand properly, and how to keep constant sixteenths going on the right hand whilst your left hand's doing something else. And um, that was a really valuable thing. And I don't know why, but through that, I also learned that I just fare better when I go at my own pace teaching myself rather than getting someone else to tutor me. So through that, that ended up happening time and time again through my life. I ended up teaching myself how to play the drums. I ended up teaching myself how to play the bass. And eventually it became a thing of, okay, I, I know how to teach myself. So why would I get anything, anyone involved for anything else at all? And this is me now being, this is like the control freak side of me creeping in. Why would I ever need anyone else to do anything if I can save money and teach myself how to do it? So then that extended onto engineering, that extended onto CG and animation, video editing, video production, website building. <laughs> and just next thing you know, I just have all these things that I can somewhat do. And it's purely because of, I think it's purely because of me being a, a control freak. Um, and I'll be the first one to admit that. And having this weird stinginess in the back of my head of well, why would I pay someone else to do it if I can learn how to do it myself 
which <laughs> sounds so ridiculous saying it out loud. But when we were with um, when we were with the GP for our first album, the Synesthesia album, back then mixing and mastering and that whole side of things was just this this elusive world that I had no idea how to really figure out. I I thought mixing was just like just witchcraft, right? How do you turn this weird thing that like sounds kind of like a like a demo, like a messy super mid heavy de- demo that normally is the case that when anyone puts together a track and they have no idea what they're doing in terms of the engineering side, it always sounds kind of muddy, mid-heavy, etc. How do people turn it from that into this really clean thing with clarity that just like sounds like it belongs on the radio? I had no idea. And um, I watched Rob Aubrey, who engineered the first album, do it from the back of the room. And I thought, hold on, this is easier than I thought. most of it is just learning how to use EQ and compression. Those are the two magical things. And then anything is created. You know, when you get into the effects and you get into how to use delays, reverbs, and and whatever um, effects you want to start dabbling with, that's all the creative side. But the functional act of balancing different instruments and having everything um, audible in a mix is purely just, well, how do you make the most of EQ and compression? And that epiphany then opened up that door because when we, when things started to break down for our second album, Vox Humor, it quickly dawned on me that why should we remain with GEP if um, the direction they wanted to take, a, take the album in, the Vox Humana album in, was not necessarily a direction we wanted it to go in. Why don't we do it ourselves? which granted is a big thing to propose to the rest of the band. <laughs> you know, you've, you, you, you're on a label, which is in of itself a pretty amazing position to be in. And now you find yourself in a position where you want to get off the label because you want to take back that creative freedom. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange when you're faced with the realization that you are convinced as, um, as, Ridiculous as it, as it sounds, you are convinced that you could do a better job than the label could, <laughs> um, which is, a, I think, a combination of my naivety and ambitiousness and stubbornness, going back to that again. <laughs> but I'm still very happy with how Vox Humana came out. It was the first album that I properly mixed. Fantastic. It was a double album. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And it was, um, it was a chance for me to not only... Uh, put out something that we were musically really happy about, but it was a chance for me to also show my capabilities as a mixing engineer. And it was that album that ended up getting me a job at Old Street Studios because Jerry, the owner of the studio, heard that album after I sent it through to him. And he he was impressed. And he, he also found the prog connection aspect of my approach to mixing uh, interesting. Just, There's just not many mixing engineers in London that would approach with an email saying they want to mix at your studio and they're into prog. That was an interesting talking point. And he invited me to the studio. We had a, we had a meeting, we had a chat. And next thing I know, I was in there next week sitting in on sessions. And that was 2018. Here we are in 2022. And I'm now the manager of the studio. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. And that's... Um, 
that's kind of just how things went, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, sorry. I just I just spieled for the, for like the last five that, well five minutes it, or so. <laughs> it is an interview, right? So um, yeah. there's a lot to. I'm not going to say the word unpack. I mean, I guess I just technically said it, but you just technically said it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so along the way, was there any formal training at all? Uh, I, the only formal training I had was five lessons with, um, a vocal tutor, Mary Hammond, who has worked with all sorts of big name artists, Everyone from Matt Bellamy of Muse to um, some of the big West End uh, stars. And I mainly approached her because of her experience of working with Matt Bellamy. Sure. And I just, you know, one of my favorite singers of all time. And that was the only instance of me reaching this weird barrier. Because with instruments and playing things like the drums, the bass, the keys, the main thing is picking up technique and then practicing that technique as long as you've got some sense of knowing that what you're doing is correct, right? Mm-hmm. As, as long as you're able to play in a way where what is, what is happening in your head is getting out there into the real world on the instrument that you are trying to play, then great that you're, you're, you're getting there. But I found that the difference with vocals is that it's such a physical thing wrapped up in, in, um, in the biology of how your throat works and how your vocal cords function, that I, I reached a barrier of, of uh, okay, it's one thing to know that there's a technique on how to reach this sound and there's a technique on how to reach this sound, but everyone's voice and everyone's vocal cords are different. So I needed someone to, to cater to me specifically and hear my voice and tell me specifically what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right within the context of my singing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I eventually gave in, I, I suppose you could say, and um, and approached someone who I know could give me the best advice. Uh, and that was that was Mary Hammond, and that was around the um, the Vox Humana uh, recording days. And I, I think it did help. It definitely helped. Whether on a personal or professional level. Or both, because they intertwine, honestly, right? Absolutely. Um, what are some things that kind of life threw in the way and you had to jump over to get where you are now? Oh, Parting from the a, label, of course. That is a you good know. question, because whenever people tell you stories about how they worked their way through life experiences and certain career steps to reach points in their life that they're at, that may sound impressive for one reason or another... What is always left out of that story or what, if, what is always left out of uh, that, that rough breakdown of how the climb happened was all the setbacks and the knocks along the way. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, there were certainly a, a fair few knocks along the way. Um, us passing from GEP, as well as it being a chance for me to prove myself as a musician and, and as an engineer, it was a chance for us to start fresh. But the problem is, is um, there were a lot of things that happened that led to us having our hands kind of tied up, which was frustrating for me. Um, and when I say hands tied up, I mean certain contractual obligations that were signed with previous managers, certain contractual obligations with the label. 
And it basically boiled down to being in a position where 2015 slash 2016 was a period where not much happened because we weren't allowed to do anything, if that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm trying to put things in a very simple way that also won't open up too much information because sure. I, I can't reveal too much, but it, it it boils down to being in a position where we were, we were raring to go, but we weren't allowed to do anything, which for me especially was very frustrating. And that had a massive impact on my mental health. And throughout all of that period, there was also a sense of, I mean, I, I, I felt like I'd always struggled with my mental health for one reason or another. And um, that's, that's a spoiler alert for the things coming up. <laughs> Let me see. Of course. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, whilst all of that was happening with us slowly building things up, getting the Vox Humana album out, getting the Selexa Dreams album out, there's all of this stuff happening in my head and my personal life that was slowly bubbling away. Not entirely sure how to handle it, not entirely sure what the hell was going on, but stuff was going on. And it really came to a head in 2016 after we split from the label, after I suddenly realized that like, I'm feeling so frustrated that we're not allowed to do anything. What am I supposed to do with myself? And I, I had to go to, I had to see, a, I to start seeing a therapist, a counselor, and I was put on antidepressants and um, things got quite messy. That was a very strange time in my life, <laughs> but it was my experience of being on antidepressants that ended up giving me this weird insight into, uh, well, it, it kind of expanded my mind in a way because it made me, it gave me all these experiences that I never thought I'd ever have because being on antidepressants is very strange. At least for me, it was very strange. My, my brain seemed to re react very weirdly to certain antidepressants. And one of them was, um, citalopram, otherwise known as Celexa. Right. And, um, I used to have these really vivid dreams, like really vivid dreams. Night after night, I'd wake up in a cold sweat after having these dreams that was that were more lifelike than life itself. And they were terrifying, but at the same time, strangely enjoyable. <laughs> and <laughs> like a like a roller coaster or Yeah, I guess you could say, yeah. It was almost like the thrill of the thrill of like you know, what weird fever dream, cold sweat am I, am I going to go through tonight? <laughs> and um, what what added to that was the fact that in the day, the antidepressants I was on was having this weird effect where I would just be so gray and neutral and indifferent to everything. I would just be this blank slate, right? I I would be disinterested in just everything. And that was already bizarre. But then for some reason at night, my brain would just go into just full on, I, I would dream in full color and like everything would just get really vivid, really creative, really trippy, just like hypnotic. And um, that inspired me to start writing again. And basically how Selexa Dreams came to be, Two Frames of Panic was the first track written for the album Selexa Dreams. And that track was originally called Selexa Dreams. It was originally going to be a title track for the album right. and um, basically spurred the thematic journey direction, I guess you could say, with the album. And um, 
I, I just, I just knew that I had to write about my experiences and that's, that's what most of the lyrics on, on that album are about. Yeah. <laughs> I just, um, it's weird actually looking back at it now because it's just such a, it's such a, it was such a different portion of my life that I feel like I was such a different person thinking about things in such a different way and add to that, like I said, spoiler alert, when it, when I, uh, when 2020 came around, I knew that I wasn't entirely satisfied with how things were going in my life, even though at that point I was off of the antidepressants. I was kind of chugging along, getting on with life, keeping on with the writing. I knew that in the back of my head, there was still something clawing away. That was something that had been clawing away since I was a child. And I knew that it was something that was clawing away at me, that I would always stamp down any time it began to claw away at me more. Right. And that was my gender identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, not to beat around the bush, but the fact that I kept on stamping it down was what was causing me to have such intense um, periods of depression and a massive knock-on effect on my mental health. That was the root cause at the end of it. Looking back in hindsight, it was clear as day, that is it. And what only proves that is the fact that when I came out to myself and I finally admitted that, that I needed to do something about this, it was almost like I had just brushed off this weight that was pushing down on me massively and I could suddenly breathe and see life in a whole new way. And just, I've felt more positive than I've ever felt in my life. And that was uh, the first sort of quarter of 2020. Actually around, the, around when the pandemic started to kind of get, get, its, get its hooks on. And um, yeah, my, my whole experience since then, with the journey I've had through my transition, which I'm still in early days with, I I can I can still say very much clear as day that my mental health is in the best place that's that it's ever been. And the last couple of years of my life have genuinely been some of the best. And I've felt happier than ever. And it's it really is quite magical, actually. Awesome. <laughs> um so yeah. Was there a point right there at the beginning of 2020 where, like, I guess I'm going to curse on my my podcast, where kind of the (laughs) shit hit the fan and it was time to say, you know, what's going on? Oh, this is what's going on. Yes, there was. There was a very specific defined moment that I can always pinpoint back to. I should say I've always had these thoughts at the back of my head. Like I said, I'd always repress them, push them down. But I think the moment that I began to think, hold on, why am I pushing it down? Why is this a thing that I should take issue with? Why don't I just accept me for who I am and get on with my life and be happy? I was hired to do a music video for Mariana, the lead vocalist of um, of the group I Am The Morning. Uh, she was in the middle of working on her own solo album and she brought me on board after having previously worked together for an I Am The Morning track. And she invited me over to um, her sister's place over in Woking, just west of London, somewhat in the countryside. And for the first time, I met her sister's family. And her sister's family consisted of, well, her sister, and then 
their partner, who is a trans woman, hmm. and two kids. And that experience, just meeting them, just, just literally just the experience of meeting them and just seeing that everything was normal, everything was fine, this is a functioning family household, was like, huh, something in the back of my head is clicking here. Something in the back of my head is responding to this situation in a way that I didn't expect my brain to. And we just hung out there, like, before, after, after uh, a, well, we, we met, we went to go film the, the shots that we needed to film, and then we came back, got pizza, and we hung out for a bit. And just hanging out, again, just kept on playing on my head, just seeing just this, this we're all hanging out, and it's all cool. And that was the first time that I'm, I think it was also the first time I met a trans person who I was just chilling with, right? I'd come across other trans people in my life, cross paths with, with the trans people in in college and uni etc but i never just sat down sat down and um hung out with them and i don't know why my brain just just clicked and i i got home later that night and i think i just like burst into tears <laughs> and i don't really know why like i still just i just still don't don't really know why but i just i know there was something going on in my head that just responded to that in a weird in a weird way that was like i just didn't quite know how to process it but in a positive way, in a way that's just like, you have just been reinforced a positive experience. You've, you've just been shown this whole thing that you didn't know could be an okay thing, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and eventually I, uh, I had to speak to, to my wife, Becca, about this and just get her thoughts on the whole thing. And she, she didn't really know how to process what was going on. I think she could see that cogs were turning in my head and I was kind of trying to process what was going on. And she had her worries in the beginning because she could see that something was going on and that, uh, I remember I have a clear memory of her saying, I don't know what's going on, but there's, but you clearly have some soul, soul searching that you need to do. And she meant that in a caring way. She meant that in a Something's going on, but you, you need to go away and think about things and work things out in your head. And that's exactly what I did. And I spent the next week, couple of weeks thinking about that whole experience and reading, did a lot of reading, fell down a lot of rabbit holes online of other people um, living similar experiences, actually remarkably similar experiences. And one thing led to another. And I, and I, I, I realized that, um, well, I realized what was going on. <laughs> and it's the fact that I was so in denial that I was refusing to stare in the face this thing that was so blaringly obvious. And that was the fact that I am trans. Um, I just didn't want to accept it. But at that moment, it almost feels like I had no choice but to accept it because that just seemed like the obvious conclusion as to why I was feeling that way, why I reacted like that, why I felt so emotional in such a and in such a weird state of mind following all of that, and also why my mental health um, had always been well, I guess you could say down in the dumps to put it to put it uh, lightly, um, especially when it came to things like gender-related discussions and gender identity and and gender roles within society. Yeah, that that I, I think that just about answers your question. <laughs> Very well, and I appreciate that. Um, so, how you're in what? So we're at 
in January 2022. So we're, we're looking yeah. at two years now, basically. Yeah, two years since that experience. Uh, well, actually, that experience, when did that experience happen? It was, I think it was the end of February, no, end of January. Yeah, no, yeah, actually, it's pr pretty much almost two years to the, to the dot. <laughs> right. Um, so how, how has your, of course, taking on the new job and everything, how is, how is your mental change? Because, I mean, that, that has to have come with this. And in fact, you said it did. How has that affected your creativity and and obviously being happier is going to make things a little bit easier moving oh, day yes. to day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's that's the thing. I I genuinely and I I know this is a rather bleak thing to say. Um, you can feel free to edit this out, but <laughs> okay. if I had not come to terms with all of that, if I had not made that realization and put the motions in place to start the journey. Of transitioning, I don't know if I would be here today. Like I, 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 I don't think I would have made it. I don't think I would have survived. I knew that I had gone through so many periods of breakdowns after breakdown, and um, that had a negative effect on how I interacted with people around me. It just it would have built up in a way that it that probably would have turned quite messy. Thankfully, we're on the flip side of that. We're on the other side of that where. I did come to terms with it and I did put the things in place to start the journey. And because of my mental health being in such a positive place, that I think is what helped lead me to the position that I'm in now. Mm. I'm more productive than ever. I'm better at handling myself in terms of my uh, general day-to-day -day planning, my work ethic, my uh, well, knowing when to stop so I don't burn out. And also just how I behave towards other people, I think has just been an overall positive change. And it's definitely culminated in the journey towards me becoming manager of Old Street Studios, because I've always prided myself on how I interact with clients and how I try and make people feel as comfortable as they can in a recording situation, because it can be it can be quite a nerve-wracking experience, especially when it's someone who isn't experienced being in a recording booth or being in the live room and they're told to just, okay, you do this now and it's got to be perfect, record. <laughs> like it's a skill to be able to be a recording engineer slash producer and be able to tell someone, you've got this, you know? We're gonna ease into it, we're gonna make you as relaxed as possible, we're gonna just feel it out. We're mates here. Let's just enjoy it and have a good time. I feel like that skill that I've developed more throughout the course of working at Old Street Studios, I think has gone up like that ever since my transition began. I think I've gotten way better at that. And um, then in the last few months, that worked out with me taking over with manage management duties. And um, yeah. <laughs> So I, I think it's it's all been a journey. It's all been a, an, an interweaved, linked journey. Without putting too fine a point on it, how did the how did the bandmates react? They were always very supportive from day one. I I remember the day I came out to them. It was May fifth, twenty twenty, and Jesus Christ, was I nervous because I knew that this could be something that could make or break the band. Sure, but thankfully, everyone was just like, "Oh, okay, cool." Just like, yeah, all right, this is something that we'll get used to, you know, awesome. fine, we'll just move on with it. It's all good. 
And that's still how they are to this day. It's just not, it's not a big deal. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. So um, I guess veering off of that a little bit uh, into the strictly creative side of things. Um, and obviously this is going to, to still relate in some ways because it's mm -hmm. all about mental stuff. When you run into creative blocks or there's the ebb and flow for everyone, but some people deal with creative blocks more than others. How do you deal with those? Hmm. If I ever reach a point where I'm just not able to get any ideas out, then I know it's time to take a break. It's mm -hmm. time to just not try and force ideas out because that's never worked for me, at least. If I try and force an idea out when I'm just not there in that headspace, just the idea is a crap. I end up just ditching them when I come back to them the next day. They're never any good. And from that experience, slowly figuring that out, I know straight away if it's not happening, shut down, close out logic, just give up. Just <laughs> don't even try because it's just, it's going to be a farce. It's just not even going to result in anything positive. And I'm only going to frustrate myself. So that's when I just take a step back and do something else. Go watch a bit of YouTube, go you know, mess around in, uh, in Photoshop or do something else visually creative or um just do something else basically or let people abuse you on on discord yes exactly yeah <laughs> yeah no the discord has been the, the the biggest distraction of them all over the last few years for me <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's a group full of characters <laughs> it really is characters um, that occasionally have to be tamed <laughs> <laughs> so uh throughout all of this um one thing that that I'm sure that you probably do deal with because it seems like all creatives do, but do you ever run into big bouts of imposter syndrome or because you've got a lot of yes. success on your plate right now? Well, you say that, but I always feel like there's more. I always feel like I'm at the beginning of something rather than <laughs> having gotten somewhere. I always feel like, I guess it's just the whole frustrated, frustrated creative thing. I, I keep thinking, no, why, why am I still here and not there? But I don't know what there is. I just know that I'm here and not there. <laughs> so I keep trying to strive for whatever there is whilst being stuck here. And that's just my constant cycle, the constant loop that I'm in. And I guess that's my weird complex variation of imposter syndrome, because I always feel like I'm in a position where everyone around me is like, especially all of the followers of the band and the discord server are all incredibly supportive and bless them. I, I love everyone who's supported me and everything that I do and everything that we've done as a band. Um, I'm always eternally grateful, but I just, I always have this voice in the back of my head. That's just like, now you're not doing it right. You're not doing it enough. You're not doing enough or you're not doing the right thing or you're, it could always be better, you know, like, why am I getting praise for this thing when it should be this instead? Like this thing that I haven't reached yet. <laughs> um, that's just my life. That's the story of my life. <laughs> oh, it's not. And that's not so different than probably most creatives. I know I deal with that. Um, really almost that same brand of it. But there, there are times I told a friend of mine a while back, I was writing some music for him. And I said, you know, if I was teaching this music, I know it would be great. But I'm scared to death to hand it to you and let you teach it. You know, and I, I don't, it's, it's really, it's really bizarre how we trick ourselves into thinking that we're not what we quote unquote should be. Yeah. Yeah. I, it really is strange because 
you know, I, I can look back and I can be proud of the things that we've achieved. I, th I think we've done a lot of cool things in the relatively short time that we've been going. But like, I know, I know music is not a competition, so I should never view it like that. But I always have this thing in the back of my head of like, oh, those guys have managed to do this, um, this, this thing in the same time that we've been running. How come, what can we do to do better? <laughs> which is, which is, I know it's a really negative attitude to have, but I think it comes from, it comes from the weird hyper competitive portion of my brain. And I've always had that weird competitive side of my brain. Anytime I get into things like um, gaming, or if I get into uh, even board games, doesn't mean I'm any good at them. I'm right. just always really competitive. And I know that's not a healthy attitude to have when it comes to music. But I think a little, a little bit of healthy competition does no one any harm. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's absolutely... I think it's essential to life and we we spend an awful lot of it. I don't know if it's this way on the other side of the pond, as it were, but but here you have the ultra competitive types. You know, you've got your American football and all that. And and I live with that all the time. Um hmm. even even being away from from marching band now for two years, um, I'm still, you know, my Facebook feed during during college football season is insane. Hmm. Um uh and whatnot. But we kind of couple that with telling kids all the time, oh, no, it's it's totally okay. You don't have to be better than that person sitting next to you, which is only sort of true. I mean, mm -hmm. it, competition is a good thing. We have to compete for jobs. We have to compete true. for parts. If we're actors or spots in a band or, you know, yeah. whatever it is, there's something in life we have to compete for. So Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, but it's, it's making that healthy. That's the yeah, difference. that's that's yeah. I think that sums it up perfectly because there's a definitive line between healthy competition and, and and unhealthy competition. When it gets unhealthy, that's when you start introducing a lot of negative attitudes and things that can brand you in a certain way. People don't want to work with people who are have that unhealthy sense of competitiveness. Sure. So I would like to think that people tend to learn from that experience, when things begin to get unhealthy in that sense, and you realize that's why people don't want to work with you for one reason or another related to that. Hopefully people pick up on that, but I, I, I do, I have met a few people along the way that definitely show that sense of an unhealthy uh, level of competition that is, that doesn't do anyone any favors. Well, again, I live in America, so... It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting thing. And for somebody who isn't that, that, that's just never been me. Now, when I was younger, I was a lot more competitive, mm. um, but I've always been the sort to kind of feel like, uh, what is the, what is the saying of uh, a rising tide and all the ships and whatever? Uh, I can't remember what the, but yeah, to bring everybody up together is, it, you know, we all rise together rather than yeah. trying to put anyone down and, and be on top. I think that's, you know, yeah, no. That, that's one of the really cool things about the Discord server is that you're right. It's an incredibly supportive place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those amazing communities where no matter what you do, everyone will be incredibly supportive of of your endeavors, and it, that could be quite surprising to some people, especially so, uh, anytime we get newcomers. It's quite like whoa. I, I, I didn't expect the stuff that I create to, to ever have an audience or to ever reach people that would actually take a, a vested interest in it. But no, it's, it's, it's why it's why 
Well, one of the reasons why I'm genuinely very proud of the community that we've managed to bring together in that Discord server, because you know we we have places like the Images and Words server and um, and some other Discord servers within the kind of prog community, um, and they're all well and 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 fine and nice, but they're quite large in in terms of how they function. It, it could be quite intimidating. I know for me, it's quite intimidating. And um, what I like about our server is the fact that it's it's still, even though it's ever growing, it still feels like a really, really nice, small, tight knit community. And I think everyone's always welcoming people with open arms. Any newcomers are always welcome to join in and in shenanigans and, in, in, you know, in, in the voice chat, whenever we're doing things like Jackbox games and things like that, or any other multiplayer games, always welcome everyone. And that's really led to a positive atmosphere, I think. Which is something we all need. It's something we all need. Oh, yeah. So the kind of uh, final round here, the biggie, almost almost the point of starting this, this whole venture into this podcast uh-huh. is in your kind of nowness, because that's a word. Um, I like it. I like it. Um, uh and, and, and your worldview, what is something that is socially important to you or, or environmentally important, if that's the case, or whatever the case may be, that just speaks to you? What is something that you feel like you or someone in your position could do to better that thing through creating? Uh... It was a terrible way of asking the question. <laughs> I'm trying to digest the question. The only um, one I've, the one, only one of these I've done so far was someone asking me that question. So this is my first time actually asking it. So I see, I see. So. Could you, could you repeat the question? Is okay. That okay. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, say it the way I wrote it down. Okay. Um, so what are the we the issues that we have in today's world, both your own world and the larger world? Uh, that you feel may be helped through creative thinking and the influence of the arts, either in general or through your own discipline or both? Oh, that's a big question. And I honestly it sounds don't like a even test know question where... when I read it. it re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I genuinely don't know if I, if I know where to start with that. And I feel like in my, in my frazzled, tired brain right now, I'm like, how do I approach this one? How do I, how do I approach this one? Um, I've always felt like there's a lot of negativity online, like Mm -hmm. in a lot of spaces online. And there's always been a sense of going back to that whole competitiveness. Like you start to bring tribalism into that. And especially when we start getting into the world of politics, there's always been this sense of tribalism online and communities that pit against one another, a lot of negativity. And the one thing that unites everyone has always been music. And yes, you could say there are divides within different communities. However, I feel like those divides have never been as much. I'm being very careful with how I word this. <laughs> it's not Prague. Um, yeah, it's, it's not Prague. Uh, for the most part, even with all the snobbery that, that takes place in certain music worlds, certain genres, certain, certain communities, mm-hmm that music still acts as a bridging gap between a lot of people from all corners of the globe. You could have differences in your politics, differences in your worldview and your ideologies and backgrounds and whatnot. But when music 
brings people together, that always is the triumph. That's always the thing that just trumps everything else, right? And I've seen people who have been vehemently disgusted at each other's at each other's world views, right? Or have a complete opposite sense of how the world should be run, right? But they'll put that aside because they both realize that they've got this band that they both like. Right. Right. And they'll just forget the politics, forget all of that. Now they're bonding over this band that they love and they're talking about that. And then suddenly all of the negativity doesn't seem as big anymore. It doesn't seem a big deal. And then through that, it acts as a gateway to other things being kind of explored in a positive way. Right. Um, off the back of that, I always do feel like we, there, there is more that unites us. There is more between us that is in common than there is to divide us. And music is always at the very top of that that pyramid, I guess you could say. <laughs> Hopefully I, that answers the question. I don't know if it, that's necessarily the right uh, kind of vibe to... <laughs> it absolutely does. I mean, I mean, some people are very, very, very into world politics or or ecology or whatever is larger. And then many people, most of us, I would say, have our own smaller kind of world that we're that we're living in and trying to influence. Yeah. And really, the you know, one person can only do so much, mm-hmm. except for through something like music, where where we might be able to reach more people. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a wonderful. I think that's a perfect answer. Oh, so thank you very much. <laughs> if you were if you were a life coach, which through all the all the dark times and whatnot. It, it seems to me, and of course, I uh, met you on the Discord and at the beginning of the pandemic um, and, and, and all of these big things happening. And I realized that that's when things started to take an upturn for you. But from that point, you've always been someone who's been very positive. That, that supportiveness that the Discord kind of embodies, mm. I mean, it, it all starts at the top, man. <laughs> oh well i appreciate so, that i really do appreciate that because at the end of the day like i said with how it reflects in my job and how i try to bring a sense of positivity into people uh who are in the studio to record it's it's what i try and do in general i try and bring positivity no matter where i go because we need a bit more of that you know we uh, especially through the pandemic it's gotten a lot of people down so, so if, if I can uh, yeah. do the 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 least I can do is is try and bring a sense of positivity to people's day, and if I can bring a smile to at least one person's face, then I know I've done the right thing. So let's say you wake up tomorrow, and in addition to everything else you're doing, you decide I'm going to start a job as a life coach. <laughs> um, what would be what would be kind of the first thing you would you would take on with your general average everyday Joe who walks into your office? Ooh, I would say. Oh my goodness, that's that's a big that's a big question. I think I would ask them first of all: Are they drinking enough water? Because staying hydrated is very important, and I know that certainly ha- has a has a positive impact on people. It has a positive impact on me. <laughs> so that's that's where I would start. <laughs> Are you staying hydrated? And I know that's not necessarily a uh, m- mental health slash worldview slash how are you 
seeing your life in certain aspects as more of a doing getting into the routine of a certain of doing a certain thing mm-hmm. but i think it is very important and people underestimate how much of an effect staying hydrated has on you <laughs> oh i'm i'm terrible about that so i'm i'm going to take your advice it's why i've got my big massive uh, thing of water here and i always keep it topped up it's it's Which got, definitely it's, has it's a dream theater the logo on it 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 has a oh it has better yet it has a meme theater logo Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, um, that's a relic right there. So what's on the near horizon? What's on the near horizon? Kairos 4 is on the near horizon. Good. That's what we're working on at the moment. We are full. We're in full flow. The writing is pretty much done. Oh, we're now in the uh, production kind of studio mixing, tweaking phase. Um, the summer is when we're going to be really kicking into gear. Joey's going to be coming over. We're going to do the final recording, drums, and all of that in, in the uh, in the summer. So far, all uh, remote. So far, it's all remote, and that's how we've worked. Um, it's worked rather well, actually. Um, it's how we did the whole isolation gigs thin thing. Sure. That's actually how we learned how to do it, how we managed to figure out the whole uh, working remote thing properly. And if, it kind of forced everyone in the band to learn how to record themselves. And that's, that's worked out quite well. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's mainly where we're at at the moment. And um, I'm forever writing. So even though most of the writing is pretty much done for the next Kairos album, I'm still doing a lot of writing. And I think I'm writing more than ever. In the last two days, I wrote three tracks. So. Wow. <laughs> Let's see where that goes. I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to spoil anything, but that could end up being a whole other thing as in and of itself, but we'll see what happens. Cool. cool. <laughs> well, I know, and I know you're practicing bass like a mad person. Yes. Yes. That's very much my, uh, where I'm at with bass at the moment, I think is where I was with, with keys and, and piano when I was like 12, 13. I just suddenly was just like, even though I've played bass on and off for the last 10 years, um, I'm now just suddenly like, no, now I really want to play bass. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, I don't know why. Just I'm in the right headspace for it now. Okay. So. That's great. Awesome. Anything cool. else? Any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts. Um, try uh, as well as staying hydrated and as well as um, trying to have a positive sense of well-being, remember to take each day as it comes and live your life to the fullest. <laughs> That's a very empty thing to say. I think. No, no. I mean, not when put in context of the entire conversation though. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Don't ignore your priorities. Even if it means, uh, looking out for number one, number one being yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I appreciate you coming on. You're um, very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. As you can imagine, there will be links aplenty in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was not only really fun to have the interview, but almost revelatory uh, to go back and listen to it as I was uh, cleaning it up and getting ready for this podcast It's a rare thing for someone to be so open about their lives and the things that matter to them. 
uh, so deeply. And that's Shelby. Shelby is a very open, very generous, uh, a very caring person uh, towards her friends, towards her fans, towards anyone uh, in her life. And I think that's incredibly cool. Again, check out Kairos. There will be links in the show notes. Next week will be another sandwich monologue on the subject of work and how it relates to talent or some sort of divinely given skill. Um, I think that work is an incredibly important part of what we do. There are many, many, many uh, memeable quotes to that effect, and we'll probably hit a few of them along the way in that discussion. So join us for TCL, The Sandwich Monologues, next week, hammering and sawing. As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, concerns, issues, or confessions, you can get me at MikeCaseyComposer at iCloud.com or on Instagram or Facebook at MikeCaseyComposer. Visit me on the web at www.MikeCaseyComposer.com. Just a quick note, in a couple of days, probably Saturday or Sunday, the newest edition of the Marvelous Nerdcast will join you on your podcasting platforms and on the YouTube. Please go and like and subscribe to those guys because they are super awesome. I hope that you have a fantastic week. And if you're on spring break anytime soon, please do be safe. Uh, do your social distancing as best you can and drive safely or fly safely or boat safely or however you choose to travel safely. You guys are awesome for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>